Okay, now, we know, I suppose, that the Bible, this book here, is a book that reveals, doesn't it? It's a book, there's revelation, it's a book that reveals, primarily, of course, uh, what does Scripture do? It reveals, it shows us Almighty God. So we study this book, we read the chapters of this book, and we learn much more about the character of God, don't we? The we learn about the attributes, what God is like, don't we? We learn about his ways and his wisdom. We learn as we study scripture, it's revealed to us, it's disclosed to us. God is this great God of grace. So scripture reveals God. What else does the Bible do though? Because it doesn't stop there. Isn't it true that scripture discloses our own hearts? Like you read the Bible sincerely. I read the Bible sincerely. What do we find out? What do we see? We learn more about ourselves. We, we look at this and we learn more about what we are like. We learn about who we are something. Actually, it's very often uh, uncomfortable. An uncomfortable thing to do. We are shown by Scripture God, but we're also shown ourselves. Now, you see that second element there? That kind of... A challenging characteristic of scripture. I think that is especially noticeable with what you've got in front of you tonight. If you're sitting in LCPC just now and you think, oh, tonight it's this story of an ancient people requesting a king. You think that's all we've got tonight? You are in for a surprise. Can I tell you what 1 Samuel chapter 8 is? It's a mirror. And in these verses, what I think will happen is that God will show us, he will show you and me our reflection. He will show us tonight through the Holy Spirit exactly what we're really like, what our hearts are like. He's going to show us the the problems and the troubles and the feelings that often sort of blight our, our lives. But the feelings, the problems, that because we are his people, that we must address we see ourselves here, First Samuel 8 is a mirror. And I don't want to delay, I don't want to mess about. So let's look at these verses. There's a lot to cover. And the first thing that I, I think we see here, the first thing that we're shown is a people who place their trust or put their trust in the wrong place. A people putting their trust in the wrong place. That's our first heading. So let's make a start with this. I don't think I need to worry too much. I don't think we need to worry too much about this little recess, this little break, you know, that we've had over the last few weeks from, from sermon series in, in First Samuel. I don't think we need to worry about it too much. Because I think that there's such familiarity in the start of this chapter that it gets us up and running very, very quickly again. See, if you were here a few weeks ago, do you remember that we looked at Eli? Remember Eli? Who was Eli? Eli ruling in Israel. He was an old man, wasn't he, Eli? And he had how many sons? A couple of sons, and they were pretty wayward. That's a bit of an understatement, Eli's sons. So you had Eli, two wayward sons. Now, you think about what you're shown at the beginning of this portion of Scripture. Who do we have? Samuel. Now, here... Samuel is old. You know, a lot of time has passed since 1 Samuel 7. And what, what does he have? He's got two sons. 
and they are also not living as they should. Now what Samuel has done, he has appointed them judges after himself and they've been corrupt and they've been unjust. It's almost like history is kind of repeating itself. But it's so familiar to us that all of the the, the back catalogue of 1 Samuel comes back to us, doesn't it? And we're now, we're up and running again. Now, it's a few months since uh, the Brexit referendum. I'm always scared to even mention it. But it's, it's been a few months since Brexit. And uh, the dust has settled a little bit, hasn't it? And now, would you not agree with me? It's quite interesting to look back and to see how people responded to that whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't really care politically where you stand on Brexit. But I'm sure you would agree that it was a time of uncertainty in this nation. It was a time of, I didn't really know what was going to happen, wasn't it? A time of uncertainty, maybe still is a time of uncertainty. And it was interesting to see how people responded to Brexit, wasn't it? Now, I want you to understand, I want you to take that into 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, do you see that this is very much a time of uncertainty in Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now think about it. They're about to lose their leader, their ruler. Like Samuel is old, really old, and he is about to die. And the guys that are coming after him, his sons, they're not going to last. Not very long, not ruling the way that they are. Do you see that there is this kind of, it's like an air of insecurity. There's this atmosphere fear of uncertainty is kind of washing over Israel. So what do they do? There's this uncertainty. What do they do? Well, we're told what they do. The elders, they get together, all of the elders, they go to Samuel and they say to Samuel, Samuel, we want you to put a king. We want you to appoint a king, a monarch over us. Now, tell you what, let me pause there. Because I want to ask you whether you really see how significant a moment that is in the scope of biblical history, the one that we're dealing with there. Do you see where we are in the Bible? I mean, this is a a massive moment. Do you see what they're asking Samuel? They're saying to Samuel, Samuel, do away with everything. They're saying, seeing this, this system of tribal judges that we've got right throughout Israel that God has instituted. Samuel, can you chuck that out? We don't want that. We want a new, listen, a new method. We want a new technique of governance. We want an entirely new institution. Get rid of the judges and appoint a monarch for us, a king. Okay. Let me bring this to you. What do you think of this request in 1 Samuel chapter 8? We, we've got a queen. We've got a, a, a monarch ourselves, don't we? So maybe we think, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. And maybe we think, okay, that the nation was growing. This desire to sort of centralize control makes a bit of sense. Is that what you're thinking? Friend, would you look with me, together with me, at what God thinks about it? Would you look at verse 7, please? I'll give you a moment. Look at verse 7. What does God think of this request? You can see, you can see that Samuel's not best pleased. He takes it very personally. He takes it as a slight on his rule. But God sets him right. Look, he says these words, these people have not rejected you, Samuel. 
These people have rejected me. So friends, do you see what this request for a king was? It was apostasy. I mean, there's no real other word for it. Perhaps the only other word is idolatry. Like so many people look at 1 Samuel 8 and they think it is a transition from judges to kings. But do you know what it is? It's a transition from looking to God as ruler to looking to man as ruler, isn't it? I mean, there's a time of uncertainty. What do they do? They don't trust in Yahweh. They don't look to God. They look to something new. Give us a new institution. Give us a new method. They don't look to God. They look to man. I tell you what, let's, let's, let's try and pinpoint some application here with 1 Samuel chapter 8. Application. And as I say that, where do you think we could go with application? They're not trusting God. But they're trusting methods and men. Where do we, where could we go for application, friends? Couldn't we apply it to the culture of London? Don't you think so? We could do that. We could say that the people out there, they put their hope in institutions, employers, they put their hope in people, they in politicians and presidents, in celebrities. We could definitely apply it to the people outside. But isn't it true that this is also applicable to your life? my life. Now think about the life of the church. Isn't it true that we look to methods, new methods, and we look to men rather than looking to God? Where do we think prosperity is going to come at LCPC? I hear this all the time. People wanting new initiatives, new techniques. New programs, new ways of doing things. It's not what we do rather than looking to God for our prosperity and security. And wait a minute, what about people? What about that celebrity pastor that we perhaps revere a little bit more than we should? Or the older minister in our denomination that we look up to a little bit more? Then we should. And isn't it also the case out there for our lives out there? Let me ask you this question. And please think about this question. Where is it you are actually looking for your security? Your security. What if it all goes wrong tomorrow? Are you thinking, well, if it all goes pear-shaped, at least I've got that pension pot. At least I've got that retirement plan. Where are you looking for your security? Is it to people? If it's not methods, are you thinking, well, if it all goes pear-shaped tomorrow, at least I've got my husband. At least I've got my my wife. Do you see, friends, we, we look at this. First Samuel 8, and on the first reading, it's, uh, it's an ancient people asking for a king. We analyze it, and what happens? Ah, it hurts. We see ourselves. Friends, is there... Is there uncertainty in your life just now? And don't you put your, your hope in a, a new method? You don't put your hope in, in men. Where do you put your hope? Put your hope in the Messiah of God. Second thing we see here is a people hating the holiness to which they've been called. Okay? Now, they've asked for a king. The second thing we see is a people hating the holiness uh, to which they've been called. Here, in this point, the second point, 
I don't want to do what we normally do. You know how it works. We normally deal with the first bit of, it's very orderly. Hopefully we, we, are, we deal with the first bit of a section and then we move on in the text. Don't want to do that. The second point, I just want to stay where we are. I want to linger where we are. Because I want to ask, why? Like they ask for a king, but what is their motivation for asking for a king? Why specifically do they want a monarch? You know, a king to rule them. Well, let's look at verse 5. Would you look at verse 5 with me? Boys and girls can look there as well if you look at verse 5. So what do the people say exactly? The elders say to Samuel, appoint a king. We want a king. We want a king to judge us. Look at the next bit. Like all the nations. Now, your your eyes are on the, 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 the portion of scripture, so I, I would ask you to do this. Look down to verse 20. I think it's verse 20. What do you see? You see the same thing, do you not? What's the demand? Because it's not a request. What's the demand? Give us a king. So that, what's the motivation? So that we can be like all the nations. Now, do you see the insight you've got there? Do you see what, what you're being shown? Why do they want a king? So that they can blend in. Isn't that it? Isn't that what it's all about? Yes, you're saying to me that it's a rejection of God, and it is. Why do they reject God? It's out of this desire to conform to the world. What do they want to do? They want to, do, to, to conform to the pagan nations. And maybe, if you, you, you put your mind to it, you can see what they're thinking in Israel. They're thinking, we are sick of having to be Different. We're sick of this incessant call to holiness. We are sick of being a theocracy. They're saying it's weird. It's strange. In fact, they're maybe saying it's no fun. They look around them and what do they see? Other nations going into battle behind a king, behind a monarch. They don't have the, the, the festivities of royalty. They don't have the pomp and circumstance. What do they have? They have Samuel. And they're not happy about this. They want to be like the Canaanites, the Ammonites, the Philistines. Do you know what? They're crying out to God. They're saying to God, let us be like everybody else. And I really hope you now see what I meant at the start of the sermon. Because when you see that desire to conform to the world, is it not as though God is showing us our heart? That desire to conform to the world, is that not God showing us tonight the desires that lurk deep down in there? Isn't it the case that sometimes we are saying, we're crying out to ourselves, I am sick of being a Christian. Like I, I am sick of the standard of living that I'm called to. I'm sick of not being able to do the stuff that my friends and my family and my colleagues are doing. And I'm sick of all these different definitions of success that Christians got to have. Sick of the definitions of failure. Sick of this purpose that I've, I've got. Isn't it the case that sometimes really, though we maybe not recognize it, we're crying out to God. God, just let us be like everybody else. 
Let me say two things about that. First of all, see that aversion to holiness that is deeply ingrained in your heart. So you think about what happens in the, the text here. So these people, they come and they, they ask for a king. We want to be like all the nations. Now, how does God respond to that? Do you know what he does? He warns them. And if you look at your text in front of you, look at the middle section of your text from about verse 10 to verse 18, I think it is. What is that? That is just one huge long warning, an explicit warning. God says to the people, you want to be like, you want a king? Let me tell you what sort of king you're going to have. He is going to be horrendous. He's going to take everything from you. He's going to take your sons, your daughters, possessions, your land, your money. And it all leads up to this big apex in verse 17. What does God say in verse 17? You want a king? This king is going to enslave you. He's going to put you in bondage. You're going to return to, to, to Egypt. And what do the people say after such a warning from God? Do you know what they say? We don't care. We don't care. Give us a king. Friends, do you see the lesson there? Even in the hearts of the covenant people of God, a desire to conform is lodged. But then the second thing, see this aversion to holiness? It is utterly incompatible with who we are. Maybe the boys and girls can understand this. Who is it that asks for a king? Who asks for a king? It's the elders. Elders of what? The elders of the people of Israel, isn't it? Now, who are they? They are a people that God has called out for all the other nations. Your elder, Gabriel, and I, before the morning service started, we were sitting through there and we were reading Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we read that before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth, what God did was choose a people for himself. And he he elected them, predestined them to be his people, to be different, to be set apart. That's who we're dealing with. Do you see no matter how much the elders want to be different? They cannot be different. They will never be different because God has called them to holiness. And friends, I hope what I'm about to say uh, resonates with you tonight. Because I do think that at London City Presbyterian Church, we have to have a bigger view of salvation than we do currently. Like, what is it you think God has done for us in salvation? We think he's forgiven us? Yes. We think that he's redeemed us? He has. We think, well, salvation is about coming here on a Sunday and worshipping him. But I think we have to understand that what God has called you to is holiness. Do you understand? God has called you to be different to all of the other people in life. See all the other people you work with, the people you socialize with, you are to be different to them. You are to be set apart from them. You are to be in London. You are to be a city on the hill. You're supposed to be a light in amongst all of that darkness. What were the people to be? What are we to be? 
Be holy, because the Lord our God, He is holy. So we've got a, a people putting their trust in the wrong place, and a people hating the holiness to what they're called. Right, the last point this evening, third and last point, we see a people given exactly uh, what they asked for. Let me... Let me preface this last point by saying this, that, that I, I really think uh, that there is a lesson in First Samuel chapter 8 about old age. Maybe it's just me feeling my age, but there, there surely is a lesson for old age in First Samuel chapter 8. Samuel, remember what we said at the start, Samuel's an old man, and he is an old man, and he is soon to die. And how would you describe his behavior in First Samuel 8? He is an old man, and he is still at the coal faith, isn't he? Samuel is an old man, an elderly person, and he is still integrally and enthusiastically involved in the service of the community of faith. He's involved, like he's active, he's old, but he's interceding for the people. He's he's working, he's serving, he's speaking to God, he's praying for the people. But it's actually the answer to his prayer that I, I want us to close with. So do you see what happens if, if you look at this? The elders want a king. Samuel brings that request to God. How does, isn't it a remarkable answer? How would you expect God to, to respond to that request? Remember, it's a rejection of him. What would you expect God to say? I'd expect God to kick it into touch. And what does God say? He says, they want a king. Let them have a king. And in this portion of scripture, three times, I think it's seven, eight, and maybe twenty, three times, God says to Samuel, obey their wish. Give them a king. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it? Now, so much ink has been spilt about why God gives them what they want. Uh, Matthew Henry, we all know the name Matthew Henry, do we? The, the Puritan commentator. He says that it's perhaps about discipline. That God will give them a wicked king. He'll give them Saul as a way of chastising them, bringing them back. But I think it's, it's, it's maybe bigger than that. Friends, why does God give them a king? Isn't it that God is about to do something marvelous and real. Isn't that right? I mean, we learnt from Deuteronomy chapter 17, the first reading, that God knew and expected this day would come. And now he is about to take this wicked request. He's about to turn it, turn it on its head. He's about to use it for something beautiful. What's he going to do? He's going to take monarchy in Israel and he's going to point everybody to the kingship. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't we see tonight something of the rule of Jesus in front of us? Because isn't it true that not only is Jesus' rule the complete antithesis to the warning God gives? Do you remember what God said about the king? This evil king, what was he going to do? He was going to enslave the people. Isn't that the warning? And what has Christ done? What has he done? Our king, he has come in rule, he's come in power, and he frees people. He breaks the shackles, he breaks the chains, he redeems his people. 
But isn't it also the case that Christ is king? He perfectly fulfills that prophecy in Deuteronomy 17. Because do you remember what it was? God says, one day you're going to come and ask for a king. And that king, what was it? Three things. He has to be like you, from you. He has to be humble and he has to be obedient to his word. Is that our king? One who is like us, not a, a distant king. One who is our own flesh. He is one humble, one who does not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. And a king so committed to the will of God that what did he do? He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, that's the king. Do you understand that Christ is not just ruling over the universe tonight? Christ is not just ruling over the world. He's not just ruling tonight over the United Kingdom. Listen, tonight, just now, Christ Jesus is ruling as king over your life. So, I guess I end like this by prompting you to ask this question of yourself as you go home this evening. Are you living as a loyal subject to that great king? Is that how it is with you? Or is it that you are desiring in your heart to conform with the world? Are you putting your trust for your security and your hope in methods and in other people? Well, I would say tonight, you look at First Samuel chapter 8. Let's turn in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only a few of us in here tonight, isn't there? Do you know what I think is wonderful? We can go out here with great joy. Because what do we see before us? Scripture reveals. What does it reveal? It reveals our God. And what do we see? We see that Christ is King. He is King of Kings. Let's pray.